0: Rusty Quill presents Below Decks, a Trice Forgotten Deep Dive. Episode 7, Building Authenticity in Soundscapes. Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of Below Decks, where we dig into some of the research, questions, stories and generally tangential, interesting things that went into making Trice Forgotten. I'm Nemo, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm the creator and lead writer of the series. This episode is coming out after episode 8 of the podcast, A Raked Game, where Siva has introduced the crew to Kalativu, we've met Mary, and Alestes has made some threats. Today on Below Decks, we're going to be talking about soundscaping Tries Forgotten, and I'm delighted to be talking to two of our audio designers, Kathy Rinella and Katie Seaton. Just wanted to say Maddie was also supposed to be here, but unfortunately she's unwell today, so just wanted to acknowledge her efforts for this show too. So let's do Katie, then Kathy. Could you introduce yourself with your pronouns and tell us a bit about what you do on the show?
1: Hello, yeah, Katie here. Uh, Builder's Catherine on the show nights, I think. And so is Kathy, because we like to confuse you. (laughs) My pronouns are she, her. I am one of the soundscapers and also editing in the music and occasionally writing a little bit of extra music where it's needed. Amazing. Kathy? I'm Kathy. My pronouns are she,
2: her. And I am the master for Trace Forgotten and a lot of the other uh, Rusty Quill* productions i'm basically go in and i make sure everything is good to go post soundscapings and then it's ready to uh be heard by our lovely audience
0: so I wanted to start off by saying that this show is edited by a huge group of people. Um, we've got Maddie Sell, Nico Vitese, Tessa Vroom, Ann Davies, James Austin, and of course you two, Katie and Kathy, and you kind of briefly described a little bit about what you do, things like mastering. From my outsider position, I've seen that there's things like a rough cut, a vocal cut, a music cut. Um, can you explain to a listener what all of these things are and why there are so many drafts of the show, I guess. Who's going to take that one?
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I started laughing because there's so many cuts. There's so many cuts all (laughs) over the place. I can give a breakdown, and Katie, maybe you can kind of, like, describe, like, the difference between what it is now and what it was before, because Mm -hmm. I'm still relatively a newbie. The process kind of goes, we start with the vocals, with all the lines that have been recorded, the raw recordings, and... Mm -hmm our vocal cut editor goes in and uses all of the notes from directors and producers to piece together a rough cut of the audio, which is basically a working cut of all of the actors' lines in the approximation Mm. of both timing and takes that were desired to create the full story because all of our actors, because they record remotely, we do multiple takes in these recording sessions. Mm -hmm. From there, the rough cut goes to be reviewed by Raf as director. Who then checks the see which which takes are good if something needs to be swapped out, if mm. we got something missing, either the vocal cut editor or RAF makes a flag of it saying, Hey, this wasn't in the script, or hey, we need to add this. And once we have those notes and we find all the materials to make those corrections, then the rough cut becomes the vocal cut, which is then cleaned up and sent off to the soundscapers. Soundscaping um katie if you want to jump in and describe the the (laughs) soundscaping okay so we settled into
1: a workflow where maddie does the initial pass on getting it all put together and creating the world there's been a few episodes where it's been someone else and the first couple tessa and maddie sort of did it as a team and Mm. the third episode was all me and then we sort of settled into what we're doing now which is maddie goes in at first and Adds all the ambiences and builds sort of a really immersive sort of authentic feeling place to be for the actors. And and then obviously we start sort of putting in all the movements and the little bits of foreground um, detail that tell us what they're doing, give us that sense of authenticity that makes us believe that the characters are really there and really, really real people. Mm. Cathy then takes a look with a fresh pair of ears for audio quality and whether it's kind of landing right You know, because it can be hard when you spent 20 hours Mm. auditioning. 300 different sounds to try and find the right one or going off with your microphone to try and record them and put it all together you could kind of I don't know if this works or not now yeah I'm done you know and so you, it's good to have someone to hand over to to listen the fresh ears and um, Kathy will make lots of notes and give us feedback sorry which
0: <laughs> no it's fine lots of notes is good I say as someone who doesn't get them
1: <laughs> uh, I personally am quite unusual in audio posts because I quite enjoy working through a list of notes because it mm. means none of that annoying thinking because mm-hmm. I'm literally just yeah. tick 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 mm. yeah so it's quite <laughs> relaxing when you've done the initial pass, just be working through director's notes or whatever. And Maddie and I share our actioning, though. Some things have to be done by Maddie because it's on her computer and it's in her project. And we don't work in the same digital audio workstation, so we can't quite seriously share projects. And then I will do some of it as well for various reasons, either just to take workload off her or because there's something which is particularly my thing. I'm quite into sounds that dialogue and merge. I'm quite into first-person point of view. And obviously, because I'm doing the music and I'm also a musician, I'm quite into sounds that blend with music and how they interact because that can sometimes do something really magical. Um, Mm. So those sorts of things. Or if it's timing, like we're trying to adjust the timing of how the characters are moving or speaking, music might have an impact on what we want to do there, which is the big difference between audio drama and film when you're working in post. Because in audio drama, you've got a lot more... um, creative power, I suppose, Mm. to reconstruct something to work, whereas in film you're much more following what the editor has already decided. Right. So for timing reasons, if I'm reading the edit a little bit, I might take that on. And then obviously I'll be editing in Sam's music, Sam's wonderful music, which I'm sure we're going to come to, and passing that on to Raph for a final check to make sure it works for Raph 2, and then Cathy will take it and do the final processes and get it ready to go out, get it the right loudness and get all the you know, all the specs in and stuff. That It's, oh my gosh. Like, I knew how much effort goes into it, but you just talking
0: about it, I'm like, wow, I didn't know how much effort went into it. <laughs> it's so many different people listening to make sure that everything sounds good to multiple people as well. You're so impressive. I'm so in awe. (laughs) So we've had some like pretty fun conversations about really, like really specific sounds needed for this show. I know that Maddie said it took her a surprisingly long time to find the right fish flapping sound effects when working on the design for episode five, when the crew are trawling. Hmm. Are there sounds that you're really happy with that you think an audience might not uh, like? Appreciate how difficult it was to find. <laughs> Slow <laughs> nodding. Yes, there are. Next question.
1: <laughs> that's always the case, though. The curse of the sound person is it often. If you get it right, yeah. that's when people don't notice because you can spend sometimes half an hour just. Tweaking automation and perspective and stuff to make sure that footsteps really Mm -hmm. sound like they're coming Mm -hmm. from over there and Mm -hmm. this person really you know and if you get it right it just sounds like the world because that's what you're going for and people will switch off because they're not even paying attention to the sound so it's surprising how that kind of thing getting a door closed (laughs) right or getting footsteps oriented right or something like that or getting somebody who's speaking in the mid-distance to sound like they're speaking in the mid-distance can be harder the like the really dramatic sounds that everyone notices like in the trailer there was a moment right at the beginning of the trailer where the little girl's being pulled out of the water and that was quite a dramatic sound and very fun to create but actually
2: you know it it wasn't the hardest bit
1: <laughs> you know? right so yeah
2: I think to go off of what Katie's mentioned it's deceptive in that some of the hardest stuff is a lot of the mundane stuff Because there's so much in day-to-day sounds that people hear that they've come to expect to hear so they don't realize they're hearing it. So it's like the type of Mm -hmm. footfalls, the sounds of of the air and the soundscape around you, the sounds that Mm -hmm. people make when they're fidgeting, when their clothes move. And there's a very fine process of recognizing that those sounds need to be in there and then understanding how to execute them. Mm -hmm. Footsteps are a huge deal. Mm -hmm. And, And Katie, correct me if I'm wrong, but we've not really had much work in the way of footsteps in most of our past series. Stella Firma might be where we've had the most of any of that, but... I
1: don't really, yeah, I've not been working in this side of things for Rusty Quill for that long, actually. Um, I was yeah. doing most of my sound work outside of Rusty Quill, but Stella is quite formulaic. It's got kind of like a more right. cartoony feel, so I think the footsteps are pretty much the same each time. So you probably this is the first yeah, time we're exactly. doing this kind of Magnus yeah.
2: Archives is, you're yeah. stuck in the tape recording atmosphere, basically. Stella Farmer, yeah. you're in the room with David Seven, and you are just, you get to hear whatever... Whatever happens that day. Rusty Quill Gaming revolves around a storytelling aspect where you don't cue in all of the passive action or else it's going to be too distracting from Mm -hmm. the actual story that's being told. Same for chapter and multiverse. So digging Mm -hmm. into Trice has meant that our editors have had to rethink how to develop soundscaping, how to deploy it, and how to find the right balance to both create a very realistic immersive soundscape without going overboard and trying to find the right balance of like how do we make this fit into the scene? It's getting back to to my original example of footsteps it's one of those things where if you hear it done right you don't notice it. Yeah. If you hear it done wrong you know (laughs) it's not right. It's usually very static or the the tempo is off so it sounds like tip 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 tip, yeah. tip, tip like for running and it's <laughs> really not somebody's gotten like their coconuts going and it's not working yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, to add to that, the challenge
1: specifically with Trice is we have two layers of removal from the world that we're familiar Mm. with. Geographical, for most of us, and historical. And I've spent quite a lot of time, because I think this is my first Mm. historical production, listening to what I've got and trying to decide whether that rumble is traffic, because my ears are so Mm. used to having Mm -hmm. the traffic sounds. I almost don't know what it sounds like when it's not there. You know, so sometimes yeah, I've been able to source sounds from mm. Sri Lanka, which is authentic geographically. when they're going, is that a car? Mm-hmm. And, you know, is, is that enough of a car that I can EQ it out or am I going to yeah. have to go and find something without a car? In which case it's the middle of nowhere and that's what, what I need either, you know. And, and then you find we're building up with multiple layers. Some of the ambiences I've been building, like in episode three, I had, oh, I think, 15 different mm. layers oh, of ambience. My gosh. Because um, I was having to construct it in a much more kind of from first principles yeah. kind of way, you know. So. And that's, that's without all the sound effects and the vocals yeah. on top of it, you know. So. <laughs> you
2: know? I'm laughing yeah. over here because he's got 15 layers of soundscaping for ambience, and then he gets to me, and I'm like, you know, we need more foreground sound effects. Can you put <laughs> it in another layer or two of yeah. this track instead? I'm, like, I'm sure there's moments of Cathy just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i hadn't
0: really thought about it but I, I guess yeah it's really not the kind of podcast where you can kind of go to epping forest or whatever and just be like yeah trees are trees right <laughs> um, it <really> yeah.
1: <laughs> and there's stuff you don't notice like um humidity in the air mm. which affects how things sound. there's not so much we can do about that and it, it, you've got to you've got to draw the line somewhere
2: yeah. e- even coming down to uh, ocean sounds Uh, There's a big difference between, and uh, partially because of the temperature of the air, there's a big difference between the sound of the Indian Ocean versus closer to the Arctic. Mm -hmm. There's some great crashy sounds from the rougher seas of uh, colder oceans. You get a sharper sound out of those wave crashes than you do warmer seas. But that doesn't really fit. It kind of throws off the scene if, if we mix it too much. I think we probably still throw in a little bit here and there for accent, but there's still a difference in that. Some of how we work around that is we do a significant amount of Foley on this show.
0: For, for an audience member who maybe doesn't know what Foley is, do you want to describe what that is?
2: Foley is, uh, the terminology I'm using for Foley is the creation of sound to spec based on the script in an analog way, meaning like if I need paper rustling, I'm gonna mm. right. I've got I've got I've got this big c- c- thing of uh, papers that I gotta look through here, and uh, I'm making foley uh-huh. by moving all the papers back and forth here and looking through the script. <laughs> when we can create something using foley or doing something by hand in front of a, a microphone. It saves us so much time and or stress instead of having to go and do searching for a very specific sound.
1: So my episode, um, you see the first two episodes were like all drama with kidnappings and the executions and then I get the fish and chips episode. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Surprisingly complicated. Probably Mm -hmm. (laughs) the most complex sound um, in fish and chips that we've had so far. There was a sound of a sack of potatoes being dropped on a deck, which you'd think being... fairly everyday kind of objects would be quite easy to source. You know, I've I've got various subscriptions and sound libraries that I own, you know, and uh,
2: nothing. No one. It all sounds like a body being dropped, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. So eventually yeah. I had to buy some potatoes, uh-huh. put them in a pillowcase, and drop them on some wood. Yeah, you know, which is um fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had a lovely saga loo afterwards, which is great. It's always good for yeah, this food yeah, involved because yeah. you, you know, it's, <laughs> nothing goes to waste then. But um, then there are some times that you, you simply cannot do yourself, mm-hmm. you know. The one that springs to mind about that is in the tavern in the first scene of episode three. The script was calling for some local singing. Yep. Mm. You know, it's a, like a sort of lively tavern with people having fun and they want some folk songs or tavern. It just said, I think it just said like um, drinking song or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, so that's one of these things. that's very easy to write. And then yeah. you think, well, OK, what would it be? You know, we've got a kind of a busy port, a kind of world hub in that era who is singing first of all is it people who are native to the island and what would they be singing if so you know what sort of songs did they sing or is it travellers and merchants who've come to port you know and are stopping off there you know so we, we could have like European folk potentially as well Raph and I agreed that actually it would be really cool if it kind of felt like a bit of a melting pot yeah. and we had like competing singing almost like, so you could hear all the different cultures interacting there um, however that went on I managed to find a lovely recording actually. We didn't have enough time unfortunately to do this in a more kind of um, planned way. But luckily um, there were some Creative Commons recordings of somebody had gone out to India and made some field recordings and we found that that was authentic enough to be used in that setting mm. at that time, um, I even got in touch with the field recordists and sort of said, "Do, do you know what song they're singing?" Mm. Um, and they didn't know. But I think we managed to establish that you know it was not going to be anachronistic or whatever. You mm. know, it was, it was fairly authentic, and you know it was it was possible that somebody would have travelled over to Sri Lanka and and be singing there. And then I also managed to find some British folk that was mm. recorded in a British pub, and that was very interesting. I know a bit more about British folk as like you know musician in England, and they started off singing a traditional song, which is quite like case in modern British folk when you sort of see it in like a more like actual community setting they started with something fairly traditional and then they moved into something song that had actually been written by a folk band in the 50s you know and then it's a, but but actually transitioned musically into it in such a way that it felt seamless so I was having to find a kind of a good loop point so I could just loop what they were doing and then I was kind of editing in claps and stomps that I'd recorded to feel like they were doing a little dance with it or whatever and so you know the little bit of background singing in that scene Probably took me several hours in total, what with all the research and the recording and the editing, you know. Yeah, so it's kind of a patchwork. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's quite funny because when I've been listening to it, I've been privy to some of the things that you guys have been talking about on Teams. So I've been really appreciating, I think it was episode two when Noor was introduced. You can hear Noor's bracelets on their arm Mm -hmm. before they mentioned having bracelets. And I thought that that was... Yeah, I I really loved that. And I'm sure, like, if people go back and listen to episodes, they will hear... The like audio foreshadowing of scenes that are to come, that like you
1: probably don't mm-hmm. notice the first time listening to
0: it because it is just part of the world
1: that they're in. Mm. Yeah, that was all Cathy all that Foley. That was lovely. The, we managed to get that down. Is is to see about like um, sound is as much storytelling as writing and acting. Um, it may be sort of it sits in a different place, but yeah, when you start to notice these things, you, you realize how much um, storytelling you can yeah. do with just yeah. audio. Yeah. And to
2: Katie's point, yeah. there's so much research that goes into it that. That, i mean i don't think even we fully realize until we dug into the script and starting mm-hmm. to look through the the sounds fishing people. rods yeah oh fishing rods. yeah just a bit about say
0: like um some of the additional research needed for the show like yeah kathy you and i have had quite a few conversations about fishing rods and trawling and and <laughs> what was invented what are some of the considerations you've had like for the fishing like tell the fishing rod story <laughs>
2: You tell your fishing rod story, Katie, and, and then we can go okay, troll. Okay, yeah. troll. <laughs> well, I
1: think Maddie and I both went through the sort of fishing rod hazing of working on
2: tricycle.
1: <laughs> 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 so yeah, things I have Googled that I never thought I would, you know, Ooh. so so one mm. is you know, development of the fishing rod of the 19th century. It turns out quite a lot of the innovation came from the Far East. So, you yeah. know, that gave us a little bit of leeway. Because the thing is, if you have a real old fishing rod, which is just a stick with a bit of string on it i looked it up and in europe they were using like hazel with horsehair, but they're using silk and bamboo in the far east you know that doesn't make any sound so it might be authentic but it's <laughs> really rubbish for our purposes you know there's a lovely reeling in sound it's beautiful but we weren't sure if that was actually something we could do mm. i can't remember how we ended up actually I think when Alestis was fishing, she was just using a rod, and we were kind of making like kind of the flip, 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 flip on the water noises. Where, what's it called? Trolling, right? Yeah, it's yeah, trolling. Yeah. yeah. So I think
2: when when it was first introduced, Katie, it was your single fishing pole with the silk string, just like simple hmm. fishing off the side of the boat. But then we got to episode five. And suddenly the script mm-hmm. called for more than that sound could provide. Because Ew. there was a struggle <laughs> mm-hmm. of trying to pull the coelacanth up out of the water. It oh, required yeah. three mm-hmm. people. Yeah. And Nora was specifically saying, give it some slack, now reel, give some slack, and reel. And in yeah. order to keep that tension, we couldn't necessarily leave those lines out. They had to stay in to create that mm-hmm. moment. So... We had well, to. We, 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 we were basically like,
1: okay, so Inez is an innovator, right? <laughs> right. <So> now <laughs> they have the real. Yes. <laughs> you know? I bet unless he's nicked Inez's yeah. yeah, yeah. There,
2: there, there yeah. was an additional conversation I think uh, on on Teams where we were talking. about, like, okay, like we know reels are around during this time but do we know how complicated they are? Can we pass off yes. with this? And yeah, would they be yeah. made of wood and not the plastic yeah, that I think Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. You know? It's yeah. like that's probably an artificial <laughs> yeah. line being used but, mm, that, That's kind of where we kind of, we have to figure out where to draw the line when we do these yeah. things. Yeah. We try to keep out as much anachronistic stuff as possible but sometimes... Mm. It just can't be helped. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And this is another actually interesting thing about sound work, because you start to realize how much you're relying on a certain amount of semiotics and established conventions and signposts that have been built up since the audiovisual era mm. started. Uh, and how much of that is actually connected to the 20th century and how the 20th century yeah. sounded. Like for example, I've just started on episode eight. Um, Morgan's written, you hear a character approaching in heels. And I'm thinking mm. but. Would they have had, I don't know, but I know why that's in the script. Mm-hmm. Like little heels, maybe we can get away with, yeah. But that kind of character needs to be wearing heels because yeah. that's, it's like, it's. Foley is also a form of acting and it tells you stuff about who the character is, mm-hmm. you know, and that's something that, you know, you can't just ignore all that semiotics because people are expecting it and it orients them and it gives them information about what we're telling them about the about the characters in the story so there's a compromise we had sometimes there as well in terms of authenticity versus actually Yeah, yeah. Boy, I mean like this character specifically I'm assuming you're talking about the sex worker mm-hmm.
0: and like hearing her in like flip-flops would give you a <laughs> completely different like you wouldn't yeah, get right. the yeah. the atmosphere Yeah maybe.
2: it might be authentic
1: but <laughs> yeah. you
2: know it's not yeah and and even the the, the the difference of well boots we've heard on a lot of the characters so far technically boots mm. have heels so we now we need to find a shoe <laughs> that sounds more like heels than regular boots yeah. but not the same yeah but
1: different yeah. but yeah yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah but most of the maybe not see but most of the characters are kind of like they are booty people you mm. know they would stomp around and have a bit of weight you know in, in the way they move you know so <laughs> basically <laughs> You know, I have seen no concerns about anybody looking up my search history because it's all stuff like, what kind of sheep did they have in Sri Lanka in the 19th century?
2: Oh my God. Looking up 18th century chairs on nautical ships. Yeah, that's my thing now. Yeah, there's so much little stuff that we've had to kind of reteach ourselves. Uh, Half of what I end up doing in mastering on my original passback is just listening for stuff that sounds modern it's, it's mm. listening for stuff that mm. like it's, it's impossible to for any of us to have a full comprehensive view, knowledge, education understanding of everything 18th century yeah. everything related to this particular geographic location time period but what we can do is at least listen out for okay, that does not sound 18th century it sounds too modern it sounds dated it's taking me out of the story because it's not quite fitting with the world. I mean, with, with the with the chair thing, for example, I think at one point when we were working on ship stuff, I was a pest. <laughs> and, and I went to back to Maddie as we were working on some of the creeks and like furniture movement. It was like, okay, well, this chair has a little bit of leather creek to it, which normally would be fine. But in terms of, uh, stuff on a ship it has to be mm. either heavy and sturdy mm. or easily stowed because yeah. on the ship you're always going to have movement you're going to have rough seas you have to account for not being at port for a long time you have to get stuff that is going to stay put yeah. so it's more likely you're looking for like a really heavy wooden chair with wicker used instead of these extra materials. Yeah, it's it's little stuff like that, and the listener's never going to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but to just get it set up right and to help us establish an audio atmosphere and set mm. our own precedents mm. for later episodes as well, it's crucial, especially in mm. those, those first, like, I think, four or five episodes. We've had to take a lot of notes on materials that we've used, what the characters have been wearing places we're trying to keep track of like okay this atmosphere is for this island this crowd sound yeah. we heard on this island it needs to stay yeah. here because uh, <laughs> the same group of people yeah. doesn't travel everywhere <laughs> and, then, and then you get a script direction that goes
1: okay this same place but now it's really quiet because it's a hot day <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah thanks yeah. for that <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, when I was writing the episodes, I was like, and they go to another port. Mm, it is going to be another country, though, so I'm not...
1: Uh, I, that, sorry, editors, that's not
0: my <laughs> responsibility.
1: I loved your we with just, like, inventing, like, uh, uh, this is going to be this yeah. place now. Yeah, that's that's yeah, where they yeah. are.
2: Yeah, <laughs> really I've great. never been so happy to see, like random unassuming islands that have no name <laughs> they're great <laughs> i love them
0: <laughs> This spit of land which uh, has some bugs on it yes thanks <laughs> yes it's great <laughs> i mean also i did try to like write in the little bit of research that i did do for islands was when i was like there's this bird on it um which would locate it in mm. a certain way so it wasn't just like seagulls everywhere mm. which i think is what you do
1: kind of mm. hear in most like sea sounds mm-hmm. that is one of those signposts i think that cues people in you know but yeah. we don't have to we can invent new ones hey yeah let's have an interesting bird <laughs> 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 I was going to say about like you were talking about oh only sound designers would ever notice this authentic bird I feel like if any audience is going to notice it'll be rustic Wheels yeah, audience yeah, yeah. Yeah. Our, <laughs> our audience is very
2: aware of audio yeah. <laughs> very very which, aware which is brilliant yeah you know, it's wonderful good. it's great that's what
1: we want yeah. we want people who are noticing what we're doing right yeah, yeah.
2: so uh, for example episode 7 where we go to Canada we go to Nova Scotia McMachie fortunately for that particular episode I grew up near canada or at least able to go visit so looking at our soundscaping and looking at what the the script's asking for and everything like that it was like okay i know why we're asking for these things but we may need to swap out the wildlife or i know that little stuff that isn't going to make it down the cut like um i think at one point Mm -hmm. it was asked for cicadas Mm -hmm. being in there which is very much north american but because it's so cold, especially given like the cold atmosphere that we're trying to project to differentiate from the seas, it's too cold for the cicadas. We can't actually have it. We've got to swap it out with something else. Crickets. We can add crickets in. And it, it seems like such a small thing, but I guarantee you we've got listeners in Canada mm. who are going to yeah. be hyper aware of how we build the soundscape and be like... Yeah, we don't hear any of that wildlife yes. nearby. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to call bull. And we all yeah, know what it's yeah. like. What is the thing that we happen to know about? Yes. <laughs> then you can
0: pick the holes in it, right? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure.
1: I think it's fair
0: to say that music plays a huge part in this show. Obviously beautifully composed by Sam Jones. And I think <laughs> it's also fair to say that decision when to play music is vital in creating the right tone. What are the things you're thinking about when you're kind of making the music cut of the show, deploying music at certain times? You said, Katie, that you also are additionally composing some music. When are those things coming into the episodes?
1: I've only written something once so far. The only cue that's by me is in episode five I'm going for. And that was for when Baker tells the origin story for the name of the Neto And it was one of these things I was finding as I was going through and doing the second pass on the sound there that my attention was wandering mm. a little bit every time I listened to it and I felt like we needed some device to f- sort of emotionally focus that story because, it, mm. you know, it's quite significant mm. in a way. You know, psychologically speaking, that's quite significant to learn that and, you know, what it tells you about alestis as well as a character who we've not seen the whole of mm. yet, I think. And so we needed to move a little bit more into the emotional space and away from that kind of hyper-real ambience that we were creating to try and put people in in the physical space. So we wanted to slightly fade out the ambience and fade in some music that says, this is a moment. You know, and listening to Baker's story, you know, because it's going to be significant emotionally speaking. And Victor's in such a quiet, kind of yeah. unassuming way uh, to, to fit the character, you know. and So he's not naturally drawing attention to it with performance, you know. So we need to be drawing the audience in rather than shouting it out at them. And because Sam's music is just fantastic and mm-hmm, I could go on about mm-hmm. it for ages and why it's fantastic but obviously a certain amount was commissioned for certain purposes and the producers when they were commissioning it um, didn't necessarily know exactly how the music going to be deployed and nor did Sam so what we have is we have some quite significant amounts of material suites based on um, character themes so there's the main theme and we also have suites for different bits of material based around music for Elestes, um, for Gammon for Anne and Siva and I tried various things in that moment and there wasn't really anything Mm -hmm. that did what we needed to do because it was quite unusual like most of what's going on in the show is, is not like that but that had a more kind of fairy tale legend sort of to me it looked like one of those silhouette puppet shows like you know the, the um, creation yeah. story, like somebody was sort of telling it like in a in a puppet theatre in a kind of stylized way. That that was kind of the image I was getting or the vibe I was getting, and I I wanted that to be reflected. So in the end, you know, I was just like this Isn't working, you know, we we need to tailor something for this moment, and so we got permission from April for me to do that, even though I'm not the primary composer for this series. And I was able to kind of put some word painting to the music around the sea and the creation of the sea, and everything kind of coming to life bit by bit, and that kind of shimmery feel. And then in the second half of that cue, I moved into Sam's chords, and to a certain extent, his the rhythms he uses in the main theme. So we're kind of, you know, it has something to touch the rest of the show but also feels a bit distinct as the story kind of grows in kind of momentum and energy so there there, there was good reason then to write my own music Um, but most of the time what Sam has given us Mm -hmm. has sufficed for the purposes.
2: I kind of want to interject on that point real quick Katie on that particular track it was also important that we craft something specifically for that moment because there was a conflict of cultural sound mm-hmm. so a lot of where our themes for elestes on gammon crew has been like really really awesome and making sure that we have sound tailored to those cultures to their backgrounds mm-hmm. katie mm-hmm. can go more into this but uh, making sure that the music is appropriate for the characters. Mm, mm. And because this is a Native American story to be told, if there was music that was going to be behind it with a cultural drive, yeah. It would not have been appropriate for us to take something other than uh, like an an actual Native American source. Mm. And the southeastern culture was not going to fit with this Nova Scotia East mm-hmm. Canada culture. So being able to dive into a dream light state was a huge help for that particular instance because it allowed us to dive into the storytelling aspect that Baker was doing, making sure that that had its own thing. Totally. There have been
1: conversations around, you know, the degree to which being influenced or inspired as a musician by another culture Mm. and the boundaries between that and basically what well, then becomes appropriation or um mimicry mm. um where that stops being appropriate is being talked about more and more in mu- media music circles which is for me is wonderful because i feel like it's you know certainly in western art music and classical music there's this kind of attitude of like oh i've heard this great thing when i went on this trip to this place <laughs> i'm gonna mm-hmm, use that my yeah. music you know and now it's mine yeah and um, and so it's it's really great that we have to find this compromise between emotional, uh, making emotional sense in the story, but also sort of making cultural sense. And sometimes you can do what we've done, which is write something which is kind of outside of that, and, and therefore makes sense in a different way. So, so yeah, because obviously I'm, you know, mm. I'm, I'm European. To get back to your original question, in terms of where to edit in music, I mean, there are so many reasons you might do it. Like, For example, you might use it for comedy. Siva's current suite is actually orchestral I presume that's because he's like slightly brainwashed mm-hmm. by the British <laughs> at the moment and so maybe that's why you made that choice mm. <laughs> yeah. but it has a lovely pacing which actually really really matches the way Shahan delivers the um, lines mm. of the character um, and so often I find like when Siva's talking or he's <laughs> ranting about something or off on one I can edit in the music like and it, it's the flow of the music it just matches how he talks so amazingly and I, I doubt that anyone planned that but it's just worked out so beautifully you know and I that's that's great fun kathy you were gonna say something then
2: no 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 i'm just agreeing with you yeah. sometimes that timing just yeah. works so well <laughs> it's like when, yeah. when it's mm. in my review stage after you've, you've put something together you figure out yeah. the timing and everything like that i just sit back and go like <sighs> damn <laughs> <laughs> you just you know it when you hear it you just like
1: yeah
2: yeah just gets in there yeah, really yeah. well mm. it's great yeah and
1: like i said before you know the the joy of audio drama is you can like okay i need another half a second there mm-hmm. to get it on the beat yeah because sometimes you can put strong syllable on the beat if you want to emphasize that sort of comedic tone and um yeah that really really helps you know so there's that. Sometimes it's about pulling focus, like I talked about, about changing the emotional space. Sometimes music can really, really assist with emotional pacing. So, for example, if you've got a scene transition, obviously the musical transition is something which is quite specific to audio drama. You hear it a bit in theatre, and music theatre, but in terms of media that's broadcast or podcast, audio drama and radio drama, is where you mostly hear this idea of having music to bridge scenes to say that something new's happened. And there are a number of functions with that, so... Quite often it's used to say, "Okay, new time or new place, passage of time. Meanwhile, over there, this is happening, that kind of signposting. But what you can also do is you can can bring it in at the end of a scene, which is doing one thing, and you can merge it into the beginning of a new scene and have the music sort of actually morph the vibe to prepare for something new that's about to Mm -hmm. happen. Yeah. Sometimes it can help a performance. Like if you've got the performer has chosen to fix on one thing that's going on, but there's something else in the background. You know, there's like a subtext. The music can sometimes kind of be a, a counter voice to the performance. So, for example, if I was about to say something that's a massive spoiler then. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, what about uh, episode
2: six? You did a lot of that in episode six, the uh, right. Lesties having hurt or sick fever dreams. Mm.
1: Yeah, so the music was bridging quite a lot there. Uh, sometimes sonic transitions work beautifully as well. And so in episode six, I, I, was, I think it was me that did the wave transitions in the end. So we had like water sort of pulling in and out of the subconscious, mm. Lesties subconscious, that way we were. But actually the music could kind of, it could kind of be an arc over the whole thing so almost like past and present is existing in one plane because it's all feeding into each other at this point uh, and the music is helping to kind of establish the relevance of the flashbacks yeah. to the present day so that's another thing it can do uh, obviously there's the normal thing of adding a little bit of drama or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I just done episode, was it six or seven, where uh, we had a cue that finishes on, um, for the music- musicians out there, it finishes on um, an imperfect cadence. So you get a, like a four, three suspension, which is a, a musical kind of like, not home yet, there's more to come. Is
2: that leading into the outro?
1: leads into the outro yeah, which episode resolves six, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, episode six, yeah. <laughs> so as it so happened we could resolve that kind of yeah. question that the music was asking at the end of the dialogue between Alestis and Gammon was kind of resolved with the outro yep you're right there's more to come kind mm-hmm. of so I had, to, I had to do like a cheeky little pitch shift there to make that work out but it was, worth, <laughs> it was worth it
0: oh yeah that was on the question is what are you willing to give right and then yeah, yeah. I yeah, thought that exactly, was so yeah. strong it was so cool and I was like
1: yeah, yeah. and it's interesting when your music editing obviously with the background of composing for me it's like I've got this material and in some ways it's quite limiting but when you get that moment where something just works out so well Mm -hmm. it's so fun Mm -hmm. oh yeah there we go it's like it's like finding buried treasure which is quite appropriate yeah I guess the other thing I enjoy doing when it's possible is merging it in with the drama Mm -hmm. and the you know having the internal rhythm of the scene reflected in the music like quite overtly obviously episode 5 is the one we did that the most in because we had all those trawling sequences with the heave heave mm-hmm. and I ended up re-editing the vocal cut in order to put all those heaves on the beat of the music ah, which, yeah, which okay. helped to kind of make the sequence into one great big long montage almost with the dialogues in between them kind of punctuating the montage and and, and the music kind of doing that each time gave that sense of continuity over that whole of that middle section of that episode so that's another thing music's lovely for music's lovely for loads of stuff (laughs) yeah so cool so much thought i hope yeah that a listener does come
0: away from this episode and re listens to all of the episode and just like starts noticing some of the small things like Mm. i mean as you were saying like obviously if you're doing the naturalistic stuff right you're not supposed to be noticing them but i do hope that people do come away from this like this one of the reasons why i suggested this episode was because i know some of the really cool things that happened on these episodes and just wanted to like yeah appreciate how much work you people are doing and yeah the the putting things on the beat might not sound like a a huge thing but it does it changes the the tone and it changes how it lands with you and it makes you feel the excitement it makes you feel on board with everyone and yeah i just wanted to be like
1: look how cool everyone is <laughs> um <laughs> what's it like to write a thing and to look, have something that's uh, cool to come out of your brain and to sort of hear it become an actual thing. It's really amazing. Like, <laughs>
0: uh, I obviously did put things in, like, some things in, like, oh, you know, there's this bird, or, you know, ching, ching, mm. ching, they have a mm. sword fight. But actually hearing it, um, and I think it is actually the things, like the bracelets and the footsteps and mm. just the... Um, reality of it, the fake reality of it, I guess, where I'm like, it's so much better than I could ever imagine. (laughs) Because I'm not an audio person. I'm not an audio designer. And yeah, I I think it's just so beautiful. And yeah, that that moment, because it was the last episode that I listened to the episode six, the like, what are you willing to give and flowing into the music? I was just like,
1: god yeah yeah like i could never have written that and it just it worked so well and yeah mm. so that was that was particularly good because it's like because in, in terms of the um story arc of the season yeah mm-hmm. as well you know it was good to draw attention to kind of that pivotal moment yeah anyway
0: <laughs> so yeah i'm very appreciative of yeah okay amazing i feel like that's a really great place to wrap up thank you so much for being here katie and kathy if people wanted to hear more from you (laughs) here see more from you where can they find you online
1: uh yeah i'm on twitter i'm at katie seaton nine as in the digit it's not very easy to say (laughs) (laughs) great and that's seaton s-e-a-t-o-n that's right
2: And me, I'm not really on social media, but I do lurk on Twitch. I'm Lily Foxglove, if anybody sees me lurking in various streams. Amazing. Cool.
0: So let's wrap up here. Thank you so much, Katie and Kathy, for joining me. That's it from me, Nemo. And goodbye from Katie and Kathy. Bye. (laughs) We'll see you next time (laughs) below decks. Trice Forgotten is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Like 4.0 International License. The series is created by Nemo Martin and directed by Rafaela Marcus and was edited by Lori Ann Davis and Catherine Rinella. Tries Forgotten is produced by Ian Gears, Laurie Ann Davis, and production manager Natasha Johnston, with executive producers Alexander J. Newell and April Sumner. To subscribe, view associated materials, or join our Patreon, visit RustyQuill.com. Rate and review us online. Tweet us at TheRustyQuill, visit us on Facebook, or email us at mail at RustyQuill.com. Thanks for listening.